3-1 pitch is hit high and deep to center field. Back is Gathright to the wall, looks up, and this one is gone. A home run for Alex Rodriguez, number 50 on the season, and the Yankees now lead 4 to nothing. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 50 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. 50. Episode 50, the big 5-0. I know you guys were probably not surprised to hear A-Rod gracing your, I almost said earwaves, ear canals, I guess is the word. Eardrums. Eardrums, there you go. His 50th home run from his 2007 season, which of course was the last of his MVP winning seasons. What a ride that was. But what a ride this has been. And it feels kind of weird like harping on the episode 50 thing, even though it is a milestone because episode 52 is our year anniversary of when the show launched, which is only two episodes away. So next week's going to be a real downer is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, next week. just Don't you wish something cool happened? That's what we're going to talk about. It's all downhill from here until it's back uphill for episode 52. Roller coaster ride. Roller coaster. So this week, and don't get excited, we're not an NBA pod, was the NBA All-Star Game. And... There is a dunk contest, apparently. I guess it used to be exciting, but it only brought out sadness and anger on Twitter of basketball fans. So I'm sorry. I'm laughing at you starting that with, listen, don't get excited. Like anyone was excited about that ML. I almost said MLB. I'm in the default mode of this fucking podcast. No, but like the NBA All-Star game was not good. And the, the slam dunk contest, which for some reason they put it, it's the entirety of halftime. It's like the entire halftime of the All-Star game is this slam dunk contest, however long it takes. And it was boring as fuck, man. Oh, my God. What was weird to me is that I saw a lot of takes of, you know, oh, the home run derby is better than the dunk contest. And I didn't even think this needed to be said. I mean, the home run derby is far, far superior. Without a question. And now even more so because they implemented the clock. So it gives a little bit of juice to every single round. And... Unlike the dunk contest, which is totally subjective, it's just a panel of judges deciding on which dunk they like more, the home run derby is, can you hit it over the wall in this amount of time, or can you not? There's no like, well, he looked good, or I like this guy, so I'm going to give him a 10. It's like, did he fucking hit 20 home runs or not? (laughs) And, you know, I think it's indicative. Like, one of the ideas we were kicking around for this week was talking about what would the baseball equivalent of something like the slam dunk contest be? And the closest we could come to is maybe bat flips, but it just goes to show like the surface level absurdity of suddenly adding a judged competition into something that otherwise doesn't deal with judges. You know, that's like the big dividing line in the Olympics, you know, people, and I don't agree with the whole not a real sport argument, but people will say like, oh, they have judges, it's not a real sport. That's taking a little far, but the juxtaposition between, you know, we're used, especially in baseball, there's no ties in baseball, right? So we as a fan base are especially used to, you know, results that we can point to, well, this happened, this happened, that's why this happened. And this is like, oh, well, the, uh, you know, the winner of the slam dunk contest in 1960 gave it an eight instead of a nine. <laughs> so, uh, so he wins. So he, it's, 
And not for nothing, I, I missed the guy's name, but the, the guy that won is just the, the super tall guy from Portland. And that was his whole shtick. Like, he didn't do anything cool. He was just taller than the other guys, and he could get ridiculous height on the rim. That was all he did. The judges were just like, well, did you see how tall he was? They were wowed by his genetics, yeah. <laughs> but I'll say this, the, the three-point contest was better, for sure. That was at least entertaining. That is way more in line with, like, the home run derby. Because yes. can you hit the three-point shot? Or can you not hit it in this allotted time or whatever it right. is? I never even watched it. Well, they do it. It's interesting because they do it. There is a time. It is timed. But then there's also uh, different colored balls. So you can like get different points based on the ball. And, like different. You got to like go the like the golden ball in the home run derby. Yeah, it's the same kind of concept. But then you have to like make your way around the, uh, the three point arc. So like from all different angles, you got to make it. So that was kind of cool. The game was stupid. The best part, I just have to give a shout out. As a, I mentioned occasionally, I'm a musician, a professional musician. Um, one awesome thing that the NBA did, I would love to see MLB do, is they highlighted, uh, I believe the All-Star game was in Atlanta. The uh, the organist for the Atlanta Hawks, Sir Foster, was he got recognition as an NBA All-Star organist, which I thought was awesome. He played uh, organ with Gladys Knight for the Star Spangled Banner, which she absolutely killed. Um, it was very cool to see, and I would love to see, you know, ballpark organists are one of those things you don't necessarily actively think about, you know, like especially some of those organ, you know, da 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 stuff like that. It's so ingrained into the experience, you might not even be aware that it's live, but in certain ballparks, and I don't know offhand what the Yankee and Mets status is. I know I saw a guy playing keyboard at City Field like 10 years ago. I can't say anything about the current status, but uh, sometimes that's, that's, a, that's a guy doing that live. And with the Yankees, they already do like a highlight of sort of like, I, I guess for lack of a better term, the below the line workers. Welcome MTV below the line workers. Where they do the seventh inning stretch with the YMCA and the and the grounds crew. So it's like the grounds crew is highlighted and they do all these things. So it's like, let's get the, let's get the organist a little bit of press. I always had mixed feelings on them doing the YMCA thing, not on the surface, but just like, do you ever think that like, they really like don't look forward to it. They just want to get out there clean everything up, get it ready for the rest of the game. But no, we have to go. We have to do a fucking dance in the middle of the field. Well, it's one of those things that, you know, this isn't communist Russia, so they weren't assigned these jobs at birth. They had to submit an application and choose to uh, <laughs> work at Yankee Stadium, who's been doing this for a long time. So I would imagine that's part of the draw. Like in Futurama, they all have their career chips, but one of their prerequisites is like some dance classes. And the other thing that was weird, now John filled me in on this about the NBA All-Star Game, because... The MLB All-Star Game is like, it's whatever. The Home Run Derby yeah. is sick. The All-Star Game itself is meh. But of all the All-Star Games, it's definitely the best because football, it's a violent sport. They're not going to fucking kill each other for an All-Star Game. Not alone that, the placement of footballs, they do it the week before the Super Bowl. So if you're playing in the Super Bowl the next week, you can't play in the Pro Bowl. So by default, the guys on the two best teams can't play in the All-Star Game in the NFL. It's stupid. Even worse. And... John told me that for the NBA, and this is cool, this isn't a bad thing, but that they play for charity. So like every basket is like a, a money towards charity, but because of that, there's no defense because then you're just defending against charity. So what's the point of even playing the game? Right, even more than that, it was dunks specifically. That It was like 5,000 bucks a dunk. So guys would be driving and then the defender would just be like, oh, well, you know, here's $5,000 for people who need it. So they just step aside and let them dunk. I mean, fun for an exhibition, I guess, but it was not an entertaining game. They had a whole thing in the fourth quarter where they they had a preset number, so the first team to get to 170 points. It was all kinds of convoluted stuff. It's like, why not just play a game and then 
donate a few million dollars, like separately. I, I, don't, I don't get it. Finally, JBJ has, and by JBJ, I mean Jackie Bradley Jr. He has finally landed with the Brewers. I was not expecting that. No. I mean, I don't really know much about the Brewers' needs, but they were not on my radar at all. Well, I figured with uh, JBJ's acumen behind the plate, he was a surefire DH. So I, th- I had him go into the AL. That's and a joke, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, but my the big, the craziest thing for me about this was uh, he's not even going to be playing center field in Milwaukee because Lorenzo Cain's going to be in center. So he's got to play one of the corners, which is just funny to me because you remember he was part of the conversation with the Mets for a while. And the whole thing was, you know, we need a center fielder. We need a center fielder. And now he's not even going to play center. It was essentially, well, it was what? It was a two-year deal, but there's an opt-out. So it's essentially a one-year deal, right? Yeah, something like that. What's weird, though, is, you know, like you said, they have Lorenzo Cain for center field, but Lorenzo Cain is going to be like 35 this year or 34, and Jackie Bradley Jr., you're only paying for his defense. So I feel like they're going to end up putting Jackie Bradley Jr. in center. He's four years younger than Lorenzo Cain and moving Cain to the corners because Cain still makes more per year than Jackie Bradley Jr. is about to make, but... There's no way that he's the better center fielder at this point because what's the point of signing Jackie Bradley Jr. if you're not going to put him in center field because you're wasting his defense in a corner outfield position? So I don't see them sticking with Kane in center field for the whole season. So you're saying kind of like the front office, there's no point in pissing off Kane by saying like, hey, Bradley is our new center fielder. So let the season get going and then just let the numbers speak for themselves and it becomes like the obvious choice for them or whatever to replace Kane. You have to assume that they talked to Kane before they even signed Bradley or or already have. I mean, unless they're completely dysfunctional, I would hope so. Right, which it's Major League Baseball, so that is definitely on the table. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I I just, we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, we'll see. I mean, we won't see. I barely watch Central. Someone will tell me how it plays out, and that's all we can say at this point. Since our last episode, the Dodgers and the Padres played each other in a spring training game, and Bauer was on the mound, and the edgelord that he is, he decided to start shutting one eye while he was pitching, and afterwards, he sort of tried to, like, save face by saying it was a, oh, a training mechanism or whatever, and people were inclined to believe it because he's into, you know, different training methodology or whatever, but... He then also said that I figured if I could strike them out with one eye closed, I'd be able to do it with uh, both eyes open. And it was like, okay, so that's really what this was about. Let's stuff the excuses of it being like a training thing. That's just lip service. He's an attention whore. It's that simple. He wants attention. He wasn't getting enough attention. And now he's getting attention. It's that simple. And right before we recorded, he did it again versus the Mariners today, and he hit somebody. He hit a, hit a batter because he had one eye closed while he was you, pitching to them. You don't say. Did he really? Wow. And I even said, and I'm not an advocate for like hitters getting hit with pitches in retaliation of anything. I've never really been about that. But I posed the question of, what is Bauer going to say when one of his teammates gets drilled because he's pulling this bullshit on the mound? And people were like, oh, why would why would they get hit? Why would that happen? And it's like, well, batters get hit for celebrating an actual hit, a home run. Are you trying to say that the other team isn't going to retaliate because the pitcher is showing up their batters? Yeah, that's that's just willfully ignorant. I mean, it's I mean, especially then you think like the Dodgers, they have Bauer and Joe Kelly on the same team now. 
So somebody in that lineup is going to get plunked at some point. The MLB all-annoying team, (laughs) basically the Dodgers. An evergreen conversation in Major League Baseball is always rule changes. They're always tweaking something. And this year is going to be no different. Major League Baseball announced today on Thursday that they're going to be implementing a few rule changes. They, they test them out in the lower levels. So some of those things are going to be a slightly larger bases and a less slippery surface, a requirement that pitchers must step off the rubber to attempt a pickoff, a limit of two pickoff attempts per plate appearance, which I don't know how I feel about that. I yeah. don't like that at all. A 15-second pitch clock, whatever, I don't care about that. An automatic ball strike system, they've been implementing that, the I think, for few years. that we hear about all right. the time, right? But the one that has sparked the most conversation has been in all of AA this year. They are having a requirement that all four infielders have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt when the pitch is delivered, a.k.a. banning the defensive shift. Now, I have a lot to say on this topic, and I have said a lot on this topic, and we're going to say more. I have been vehemently against banning the shift. I don't like the idea of Major League Baseball butting in on strategy. The pitch clocks, slightly bigger bases, even the robo-umps, whatever, that's fine with me. But the minute that they start messing with strategy, like banning the shift, or even the limit two pickoff attempts per plate appearance. Because the issue with messing with strategy is, first of all, everyone is very obsessed with the idea of the fielders staying in their place. I just want them to stay in their position. But the whole point of baseball, there are no positions. Obviously, we have first base. We have names for them. But as far as where they're supposed to stand, there is no place they're supposed to stand. They can stand wherever they want within the foul lines. So the minute that the league is like, "Uh uh-uh, you can't stand there, What are we doing? We're making the game easier. Why don't we just lower the pitcher's mount? Why don't we say no curveballs? Yeah, I mean, you do have to ask, like, in a a bigger sense, where do you draw the line? And a lot of this stuff, you get why they're doing it, right? Robo-umps, they want to increase accuracy. Pitch clock is obviously trying to speed up the game, stuff like that. Limit of two pickoff attempts? That's speeding up the game, I guess. But then it completely changes the... uh, the dynamic at that point, you know, you, you get your two chances, then it's like, all right, so he's, he's going to steal now, right? Because he knows he's not going to get picked off. Like, what the fuck? But to the bigger one that we're talking about, if they do wind up banning the shift, let's say it makes it up to the big leagues in a few years, you have to ask yourself, is it one of those things that's going to fundamentally change the game to the point where you're not going to watch it or it's going to render it unrecognizable or something like that? And I don't think we're really in that territory yet. I think that if you are going to limit where people can stand, this is a good way to do it without making it like, you know, you have a little, however big of a box that you can stand in. We, we have those on the sidelines for the coaches. We don't need those for the players. But yeah, I mean, I feel like part of it is, you know, the people crying against the shift. It's partially people who are just having trouble keeping track of the infielders for the sake of their scorecards, which is, again, it's kind of like, well, is it about watching the game the way that you always have? Or is it about what's best for the game and people lose sight of the fact that you know you want to talk about the dh was instituted and we were talking about this earlier in what like the 70s right and at the time i'm sure there was some doom and gloom people who was like oh this is the end of baseball you know it's over pitchers can't hit it's fine it worked out fine and i feel it's going to be very much the same with the shift and something that i think it's lost is people they want to blame the shift for the lack of balls in play 
like I had someone say to me that, oh, well, they're trying to hit home runs now because they're trying to beat the shift. And the reality is you're putting all this blame on the shift, but a lot of quote unquote blame, and I wouldn't even call it that, is pitching is exponentially better than it has been in the past. Even if you go back to like 1996, the pitching now is night and day different from then. And the pitchers have dominated the game to an absurd degree. So hitters being taught to lift the ball isn't to beat the shift. It's because their best chance of scoring is by getting extra base hits because they have to maximize their plate appearances. So they're going to lift the ball because station to station hitting is just not efficient anymore. It's not efficient to score runs on a grand scale as far as like the entire season is concerned and as far as a team's strategy to score runs is concerned. So when you consider that, I, I kind of had a full arc. I, I came full circle at like 4.50 today. I was hardcore against banning the shift. And then I was writing paragraphs about it at 6 p.m. And then by 7.37 p.m., I had resigned to the fact that, you know what? Like, I love the DH and I hope that they implement universal DH. And that is a similar rule change. So I think that I was going a little overboard because before we found out the, the way they were going to implement it, how they're doing it in the lower leagues with having to keep your feet on the infield grass. I never really thought about how it was going to happen. I was thinking it was going to be what people online were suggesting, which is probably stupid of me to have taken it to that degree, but thinking that it would be like a lines judge or, or things of that nature. And that just seemed too different. And it seemed like it would change the game and make it something it's not. But this makes sense. Forcing infielders to stay with their feet on the infield dirt until the pitch is thrown. I'm not crazy about it. I'm never going to be an advocate for it, but I don't think I'm, I'm no longer going to be vehemently against it because it's not going to change the game as much as everyone is hoping that it's going to. You're still going to see low batting averages. You're still going to see flyouts. You're not going to see bunting. You're not going to see station to station hitting. Sure, are there going to be a few singles that drop into the, the corner outfielders right in front of the outfield where the short fielder normally would have made an out with the shift? Yeah, but not as many as you think. And I think it's also worth noting, um, like just on the surface, it's not at all absurd to take a position player, you, know, you call him an infielder, and to just make the role, well, he has to be in the infield. It's on the surface, that's not really that crazy, right? But like zooming out, something that occurred to me was, you know, that they have all, you know, across the minor leagues, these experiments are being implemented this season. But they, as I said, they kind of spread them out, right? It's so like the larger bases are only going to be in AAA. The, the shift banning is uh, only going to be in double A. Now, do they spread those out just so they're not like piling too many things onto onto one set of guys? Is that the idea there? Yeah, I think it's that. But I, I think it also probably has more to do with being able to isolate. How is this going to affect the game at large? So if you have all of them piled on top, then you're not sure which one is making the biggest changes if there are any. So this way they could see it incrementally like that. And I think that's how that, that's why they do that. And, and my other question, do you think there's any correlation between which league got which change and how close that is to being implemented in the in the major leagues? You know, like did AAA get the different bases because that's the thing that might happen soonest? Or is that just me making connections that aren't there? I don't think that's a wrong line of thinking. I, I That makes sense. But I think that it has more to do with 
it's tied to the reasons why they don't pile all of the rules into one league is because the slightly larger bases, that's not going to change gameplay that much. And you don't want to change gameplay that much with the AAA. Oh, because for the guys, the guys that are, right, right. Right, they're the guys that are going to be called up. They want to make sure that they're getting a true gauge of how a player is doing. So I think that's why you have like the more obscure or, or seemingly crazier rule changes in the lower levels because those guys aren't going from low A ball to me. Let low A deal with the robots, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On the other side of the same coin, and I feel like there is some correlation between people who are pro banning the shift, but are also happy that they've deadened the ball. Because I feel like those two are oil and and water almost. That if you want to ban the shift because you want more balls in play and you want it to be easier for players to get hits, why would you advocate for deadening the ball then so now things that should have been a home run or should have been a double careening off the wall are now flyouts. so that's why and i know i know i just said that i was okay with the shift with banning the shift and i am but do we want to see more balls in play are people just wanting to see more outs is that what people are interested in you want to see more flyouts? because there's not going to be anyone hitting 400 because you ban the shift or deaden the ball It's going to be the same batting averages across the league, but they're just going to be making outs in different ways. Well, you know, we we keep making the point that, you know, just just speaking basically, a home run is the most efficient hit in baseball, right? It's the quickest way to a run. The whole point of baseball is to score more runs than your opponent. It's almost like an ipso facto, you should try to hit more home runs, right? But I think that there's a segment of people who, they very well may accept that. It just doesn't matter to them. The aesthetics of, you know, balls in play and traffic on the bases is something that overrules, you know, the, the obviousness to us of like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you try to hit a home run every time? You know what I mean? So it's it's almost like we're not having the same conversation with the people who disagree. Does that make sense? It does. And this is going to be simplifying it. But to me, it seems like if you want more action, and I get it. Offense is exciting, blah, blah, blah. There's literally like a shitload of other pro sports that have offense out the ass. They are constantly changing possession because of the nature of those games. So are we just trying to make baseball more like these other sports? And if that's so, and I'm not trying to ask in like an accusatory way, I really want to know, is that what people want? Do you want it to be more exciting because you're, you want to implement rules that are closer to those other sports? You made, I believe this was a tweet that I saw you make earlier, uh, just to the effect of like, yeah, if you want players to be punished for being out of position, there's tons of other sports available to you. And especially like, like football, I mean, you know, penalties are so integral to how the ball gets moved across the field. In baseball, that's just not the case. You know, even, you know, as far as like, you know, out calls, for example, like if you got no challenge and even if, you know, the booth can see that the ump fucked up, doesn't matter. The game's moving on at that point. You know what I mean? And it's it's just a different feel in baseball. And you got to be careful with stuff that doesn't like wreck the game. Well, you know, we have the challenge system with the instant replays now on unlimited plays. And I think it's something we've gotten used to. But it is worth asking the question, like, well, how far do you want to take that? And to bring it back to a question we asked at the beginning of this, where do you draw the line? And speaking of like the punishments, because that's what I assume that there has to be some sort of punishment because that's the only way to really, I guess, enforce the rule. And I have people being like, oh, well, they're pros, so they'll just stay in the right spot. But old habits die hard. It's going to be very difficult for guys who have been playing this game for their entire life and watching it played a certain way for them to 
adhere to that. I know it sounds easy, like, oh, just stand in that spot, but you move around a lot when you're playing, even in between pitches. So I would love to, anyone listening, if you have any crazy, like what, like what could they possibly do? A ball? Do they remove that player from the game? Like, I want to hear like what sort of, what ways can Major League Baseball enforce the banning the shift rule? How, do they remove a player? Do they give an out? Well, I, I love that though. The hypothetical of like, oh, what? Do you want them punishing players? All right, let's say they're punishing players. How do we want to punish these players though? <laughs> yeah, I want to have a plan that I can present to the Major League Baseball <laughs> to nobody. <laughs> this week, I had the pleasure of joining Keaton and Jill on an app called Locker Room in the Cal League Colleagues group. Now, this was my first time using this app, Locker Room, and it was pretty interesting. Like, you log in and it's almost like a live podcast. You can record it, but you have people in the room and then you have people talking, people ask to speak. And I feel like we could do some cool stuff with that, with Breaking Balls in the future, some some live shit going on, some interaction from the listeners, but it was a really fun conversation. And um, so download the Locker Room app and go over to their Cal League colleagues room and listen to their live podcast. It was fun. And we also wanted to give a special shout out to Chris Gittens, last week's Spring Training Heroes. He listened to it because we tagged him in the post on Twitter. He listened to it and he fucking loved it. And I am thrilled. Like, I was nervous because it was fun. You know, we weren't being mean or anything, but it was awesome. And it was funny. So I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't think we're making fun of him. To be fair, we we did say that his legacy was on the line. That might have been a bit much. I think, but you know what? Gittens has a great sense of humor and clearly he he knew that we had had some poetic license there. We We needed to build even more drama. Yeah, yeah. So shout out to Gittins if you're listening. Keep on killing it, buddy. Hopefully we'll see you on the roster. And now let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Quinn. Hey, it's Quinn. So I don't understand why in AA they are making a rule that in an attempt to ban the shift, they're only banning infielders from standing on the outfield frame, but not actually making sure that they are there are two fielders on each side of the base. I think that that is just going to result in players going to the very edge of the dirt and will have not much of an impact. Quinn, that's a great question and something that I didn't even consider because one of the things with banning the shift is people want them to be in their, their positions that they belong in, but you just pointed out that that doesn't really exist. So... You could have the entire infield on the right side of the field, but as long as they're got two feet on the dirt, then this is an allowed defensive alignment. And uh, I don't know, it, that's still going to be just as much of a wall because not everyone hits the ball into shallow center when they're shifted on. I think we lose sight of too that, you know, the shift, it doesn't really exist separate of everything else, right? Like it's a natural extension of what ball players would be doing regardless. You know, they're already adjusting. They're already shifting to a degree. This was just an extreme version of it. So yeah, it's kind of like what, what when we were talking about it earlier, I said along the lines of just the way a baseball field is set up, like you can't give them little like boxes to stand in, you know, you need that flexibility. And so Quinn, you really bring up a good point. Like, yeah, where do you draw the line? And I think that if you are gonna, you know, quote unquote, ban the shift, this is a pretty good metric to do it. It's pretty reasonable, as I said earlier, to say, all right, you're an infielder, you gotta be in the infield. Like, uh, okay, I can see that logic. Yeah, I can stomach that. Yeah. (laughs) Quinn, thank you so much for your call. And our next call is from Eddie. 
Hey, Breaking Ball Pod. This is Eddie at Eddie J. Soto on Twitter. We know that the Yankees have had some struggles with keeping the roster healthy for a few years now. We just saw Britain go down for a bit. Some talk about Voight. Schmidt overextending himself. Should we be separating this as normal wear and tear for any MLB team during spring training versus the Yankees' injury woes? Do the Yankees have not to have anyone injured for the fans to stop saying, oh, here we go again? Also, I'm thinking about getting a breaking ball pod tattoo on my face. Your thoughts. Bye. For Voight, I can't really say, Eddie, but as far as the pitchers are concerned, I think something that's important to remember, especially for an injury like Britain's where it's a bone chip that's going to be removed. Pitchers aren't, they're not really throwing 100% in the offseason. So during spring training, they're ramping up. And that's why a lot of these injuries will present themselves because it's not that the medical staff didn't necessarily do an intake correctly or or they're not monitoring and these guys aren't taking care of themselves. A lot of times it's injuries that happen when professional athletes are going balls to the wall and there's really no way to necessarily predict it or prevent it in some instances. I mean, I'll I'll tell you firsthand as a Mets fan, I think I can relate to what you guys are experiencing, which is that having an injury late in season or seasons is traumatic and it reframes the way that you think about it. You know, as soon as one guy gets hurt, it's not, you don't have that kind of calm objectivity to say like, all right, it's a long season. It's almost impossible that we're going to get through this with nobody getting hurt, right? Almost every, almost every team has at least one guy get hurt. I would be surprised if anybody got away with none, right? So it's kind of like you got to wait and see what happens, right? Like you can't be all doom and gloom. Just because it happened last time doesn't mean it's going to happen again. And this is coming from... I was, I was just, I wanted them to fire the training staff just as much as the Wilpon some of those years. I'll put it that way. Um, so yeah, so you know, you gotta, you gotta let it come and uh, and let it unfold the way it's going to, and and not panic. It's a long season, and I know it, it you know, it feels like injury season is here because the last couple were injury seasons. But again, deep breath, long season. See what else happens before you start panicking. And yes, you're definitely going to see Yankees Twitter be like, oh, he has another injury again because of what John just said, because of that the PTSD from injury-laden seasons. But on another note, yes, I absolutely think you should get a Breaking Balls logo tattooed on your face. I mean, that's clearly the best place for it. That is correct. I was going to say, I, I don't think I would ever advocate anybody getting a tattoo on their face, but I also am in the position where I can't tell someone to not get a tattoo of our podcast like that's just bad marketing so I, i'm, I'm kind of stuck in limbo here in a yes and no i'm 50 50 on this eddie thank you so much for your call our next call is from diego hi uh good evening this is diego calling again you know i love watching your show ever since i started listening it's been pretty good stuff <laughs> so i've called in once or twice before i did call the last time in regards to there being a rivalry between the Padres and Dodgers. And of course, obviously it's not really considered one in a huge baseball perspective. I do remember in one podcast where both of you commented about how Dodger fans just, they love, they just love to talk about the Padres. Now, I don't know if you folks have seen like the Twitter page, like the Dodgers Twitter or even the tick, even TikTok. Oh my goodness. How, like how if if Dodger fans don't even consider the Padre fans anything, like just a quote unquote bad fan base, a quote unquote not a rivalry, 
like how what are your the east coast people or just baseball fans in general think their thoughts when all they really want to talk about are about the pod race and how this that this that is it what can you compare that to maybe on another sports level or maybe just a baseball level um if i'm unclear i apologize if my uh, question or comment is unclear have a good night take care bye-bye so diego i should apologize because your phone call a few weeks ago like you said you asked us about whether there was a rivalry there and i said no there wasn't but you're right. There is one that is being formed. And obviously, it's not like the classic rivalries like we were talking about on that last phone call a few weeks ago, like the Yankees and the Red Sox or the Dodgers and the Giants. But the Giants stink and the Padres are now suddenly very good. So there is a rivalry there. And especially, like you said, the Dodger fans cannot stop talking about the Padres. Every post by Major League Baseball or anyone that has nothing to do with the Dodgers will just have something to do with the Padres. There's Dodger fans flooding the replies. So for a team that claims that, you know, oh, the Padres are the little brother, we don't have to worry about them, they seem to be doing a lot of worrying about the Padres in the offseason. Uh, a, f- a few points, Diego. First and foremost, I don't know about M. I-, I am not brave enough for TikTok, so I don't know anything about that. Um, I think, you know, going back to that voicemail that M mentioned from a couple weeks ago, it's really the difference between a rivalry and the rivalry, right? Like yeah. for the Dodgers, the Padres are never going to be the rivalry because that's the Giants. But are they a rivalry? I guess you'd have to admit that they are, you know, the same way that I mean, any of your divisional rivals, they're still your rivals, right? It may not be the rivalry, like not everyone's going to be the Red Sox for you guys as Yankee fans, for example, but you still consider yourselves to have a rivalry with the Blue Jays, you know what I mean? So what I think of Diego, as far as immediate examples, um, and they're not perfect, but I think that they have some elements in common. I think of the Nets and the Knicks, because New York has always been a Knicks town, right? I mean, especially the Nets were in New Jersey for a while. The Nets are potential favorites to get to the finals this year, and the Knicks are better, and they're getting all the press. You know, the Knicks are not at the Nets level at this point. They're playing like, you know, 500-ish ball, but because New York City is a Knicks town, they're still getting all the attention and, and uh, you know, the back pages of the paper and stuff like that. And I think too, uh, about the Mets and the Yankees, especially recently, you know, when the Mets after, you know, years under the Wilpons, suddenly everything looks different. There's a lot of positivity surrounding the Mets and, you know, that, that leaks into the press. And there's a subset of Yankee fans who don't like that. Just the fact that the Mets are stealing headlines from the Yankees rubs them the wrong way. And again, it is that kind of feeling of like, yeah, well, this is a Yankees town. I think that goes back to the West Coast, you know? That's that's fucking Dodger country down there. You know, Southern California, that's Dodger country. And, you know, so they have to coexist with the Padres. And I could see Dodger fans, some well, a subset, I should say, of Dodger fans not liking it. When teams are perennial winners, like the Dodgers have been for quite some time, the Yankees haven't had a below 500 team in over 25 years. So yeah, they're not winning the World Series every year, either team, but they're always there. They're always in the conversation. So those headlines get stale. Of course, the newspapers in the area are going to glom on to the new team, the new shiny toy, which on the West Coast is the Padres. And like John was just mentioning here, are the Mets because how many times can they run the same? Well, the Dodgers are really good again and they're favorites in the West. They have been for 15 years. So now there's some fresh blood 
And you know what? If I'm a Padres fan, I'm psyched about it because it's getting the Dodgers upset and you guys have nothing to lose. You have everything to win, nothing to lose. Dodgers have everything to lose in that rivalry. Yeah, and, and, and if, if you're a Padres fan, I mean, like, I know I feel this way as a Mets fan. You know, as a Mets fan, it's like for the Yankees, okay, well, then earn back the back page. It's kind of the same thing with the Dodgers. It's like, you know, Padres getting all this press. Well, hey, Dodgers fans, you don't like it? Go out in the field and earn that back page back then. Bauer was like, okay, challenge accepted. Closing both eyes <laughs> I'll tomorrow. do it with one eye, yeah. <laughs> Diego, thank you so much for your call. And our final call is from Bubak. Kids, it's Bubak. Last week's episode, uh, the the word practice was thrown around quite a bit. And all I could think about was uh, Allen Iverson's. I mean, it, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Practice? We're talking about practice? We're not talking about the game. We're talking about practice? I don't know. I just, every time John said practice, I just kept thinking of AI going on his weird-ass practice rant. Um, so I, this is a full-on Yankees question. Kind of talked about uh, Yankees fans booing at uh, the wrong Guriel. So we all know that Herman is a bad guy. He did bad guy shit. We all acknowledge that. But I'm wondering if our Yankees fans going to are they going to be full-on we hate this guy or this is a different uh, this is an argument from a totally different conversation i've had with some friends that uh that even if herman deals and is throwing fucking amazing yankee fans are still going to hate him and i don't think so because i think the casual yankee fan doesn't have a fucking clue what that herman did bad guy things you know a casual yankee fan that doesn't listen to sports radio, doesn't read the, the, you know, newspaper, magazines, doesn't do any of that stuff. They just tune in every once in a while. Oh, yeah, the Yankees are on. I just think uh, uh, this other person I talked to had said that, you know, they're going full on. Damn it. I got to go. Love you guys. Bubak out. I think you're right, Bubak. I think that most... And we're already seeing it. I mean, her mom pitched, uh, I think it was maybe three or four innings in last night's game on Wednesday night, and he pitched really well. So you're already seeing people that are now like, all right, I'm going to push this part of him aside, and I'm going to just try to focus on the athlete and the pitcher. And you know what? I mean, as much as I detest Herman and Chapman and I understand why fans do this. This is entertainment. I understand the, you know, compartmentalizing this sort of stuff. We do with other forms of entertainment also. I mean, think about how many scumbags are in the movies that everyone loves, but we aren't boycotting the movies or we aren't booing the screen because this guy is a shitbag. We're still enjoying the product. I was going to say, how many times have you seen Wolf of Wall Street at this point? The real question is this, was all this legal? Absolutely fucking not. Oh my God, countless. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think you're right. And I think that if anything, Bubak, you're being too generous when you say, you know, are just the casual fans going to do this? I think that a lot of serious fans are going to lose sight of it too. Again, it's a long season. You want to talk four or five months down the road, you know, when the Yankees are competing for a playoff spot or whatever. And, you know, you got Herman going up and he's pitching well. I don't think that that's going to be at the forefront of a lot of fans' minds, serious and casual alike. 
brief aside before I hand it back to you, I, I love Bubak complaining about the practice aspect when this was the guy who like a week ago was saying he was going to live and die with every single spring <laughs> training game. I have to think that after that 15 to nothing loss, that just took the soul out of him. And, you know, that, it's, you can't do it all spring training. You can't. I think that's that was the experiment. You cannot live and die with every spring training win and loss. You can't do it. Bubak, thank you so much for your call. And thank you to all of our callers. You guys are amazing. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. You guys know what that music means by this point. Um, And it is actually not only time for the Home Run Improvement segment, it is time for our Home Run Improvement finale. Time to announce the winner of the contest. We asked you guys to send us your redos of Mike Trout's 300th home run, and uh, we got some outstanding entries. We want to thank everybody for participating. You guys did a great job. They made us laugh. They made us cry. They made us reconsider our career choices. (laughs) But that said, despite how great they were, we had to pick one. And uh, Em, I don't want to say it was easy, but it also wasn't necessarily hard and you know what i'm getting ahead of myself dj bingington spin that record let everyone hear what we're talking about trout it's one deep this is blasphemy this is madness this is sparta 300 for mike trout kid on top the angels home run leaderboard So, congratulations to Bubak. Bubak, you fucking killed it, bro. We heard full disclosure, and again, we had some great calls come in, but as soon as we heard that one, we just kind of knew. Like, the the energy was there. Sparta and 300, chef's kiss. Excellent job. Excellent. (laughs) And it took us on a journey, because when we first heard the call, when you went into This is Sparta, I didn't know where you were going with it. (laughs) And then half a second later, when you said number 300, we were like, come on. We fucking lost our shit over here. So as soon as we heard that, we were like, Boobach, that's a winner. That's a winner right there. And that's not to say everyone else's calls were excellent. Really, really good stuff. Way better than the call that I put on the show a few weeks ago. But Boobach, you guys all heard it was just next level. You know, we can say by a long shot, you guys all did a better job than the actual Trout 300th call. So you should oh, be yeah. you should be proud of yourself. However, three of our listeners might want to be just a little less proud of themselves than everyone else. I'm, I'm kidding. I don't really mean that. Uh, we had something really fucking funny go down. And you guys know we always try to end our episode uh, with a bang. You know, it'll be like a top three or a top six or a song sometimes, whatever. This was so funny that it, it this is episode ending level funny. You guys all remember what happened to Tom Brenneman with the Cincinnati Reds last season. Well, more than one of our listeners took some inspiration from that call. And, uh, well, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. Uh, DJ Bingington, uh, what, why don't you show us what went down with, uh, with Tom Brenneman's call? Jim Day is going to take us the rest of the way through the game. I made a comment earlier tonight that I guess went out over the air that I'm deeply ashamed of. If I've hurt anybody out there, I can't tell you how much I have to say from the bottom of my heart. I'm very, very sorry. 
I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith. As there's a drive in the deep right field by Trout, it will be a 300th career home run, and so that'll make it a 3-4 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be winning this contest. I don't know if it'll be for a laugh on Twitter. I don't know if it'll be for my friends at Breaking Balls Podcast. But I want to apologize to the people who signed my paycheck. Thank you to Michael the Food Guy, Quinn, and Eric M. for sending those calls in. And the best part about those calls, not only that they were the same, but at least two of them, I can't remember now, but at least two of them came in on the same day. So we yeah. literally listened to them back to back. When the fir- We listened to the first one, we were like, oh, ha, that's hilarious. We should have expected that. Blah, blah. Then we hit the next play, and it's another Tom Brenneman call, and we fucking lost it. Well, that's what was so funny is I forgot whose came in first, but when we heard that, we were like, oh, man, that, that might be it right there. But as soon as we had a couple other people did it, it was like, oh, no. And even more specifically, Eric, Quinn, and Michael, I want to say thank you for being good sports. And I know that when we made the contest, we said, you know, if you didn't win, nobody was going to have theirs played on air. They were all great sports about this, allowed us to play their calls uh, in in order like that. Uh, So thank you guys. Thank you guys. So thank you to all of our participants. You guys were awesome. We had a great time. And thank you and congratulations to Bubak, our winner of the custom Breaking Balls JBL speaker. We'll get that out to you in in the coming days. And... A little surprise to all of our participants. We're sending you guys a Breaking Balls t-shirt. We just got a fresh shipment in, first ever, and you guys are getting the first set. So thank you again for participating. And thank you to all of our listeners for listening every week. 50 weeks in a row, you guys stick with us. You bring more people in and we're just getting started here. The season's about to kick off and this is just the beginning. The best is yet to come, John. Yeah, I can't wait till our next celebration, episode 52. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up for Breaking Balls this week. I want to thank all of our listeners and all of our callers and all of our home run callers. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun? Give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. You can also find us on Twitter at BreakBallsPod. And we want to thank our amazing producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week. Misdemeanor on the floor, pretty boy, here I come. Pumps in the bump, make you want to hurt something. I can take your man, I don't have to set something. Hang him out the window.